Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beside us, Christ be with us. Amen. Please be seated. One of the conversations that I've had a lot with uh, parents of teenagers, particularly around this, this time of year, because uh, the next couple of weeks are when the, the kids in the confirmation class decide if they want to be confirmed. And, and yes, they have that option not to be confirmed. Um, don't worry, they're not going to go to hell. They've been baptized already. <laughs> True. Um, but one of the conversations I have with them, and this usually happens um, around the time, because our, our kids here go to great schools, so they get to take thing, classes and things like world religion, um, philosophy, and even Bible. And so one of the, the conversations I'll have with parents sometime is, is uh, their, their kid will be very scientifically inclined, really good at physics, um, will watch a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson, for instance. And then the parents will come and say, well, at dinner last night, my son informed me that he's an atheist and he believes in science. Um, and the conversations are mostly about the anxiety of the parents because they think, have I done something wrong? And I think implicitly sometimes they're wondering what I did wrong. <laughs> but I'd say that this conversation is really more about what they did right um, because they've grown up in a home where they know they can say things like that and their parents um, aren't going to smack them upside the head or yell at them or, or, or call them heathens or kick them out of the family. Um, because, I mean, since they were little kids, they've been hearing us say, well, you know, being an Episcopalian is about living into the questions. Um, they've been listening to sermons and, and listening to teachers who don't, don't claim to have all the answers all the time for every problem. They've been with adults who've sat with them sometimes when they've suffered a death or they've had something hard happen and they've said, wow, this is hard. I'm here with you. I'm present with you. But they haven't offered up one of the trite, awful explanations that they've probably heard in other places like, well, it was God's will or, or I guess God wanted another angel or any other kind of awful explanations for some of the difficult questions. Yesterday, it was funny. Um, I don't know if y'all were looking at the news, but there was a march for science. And there were some great signs. My, my friend Scott Emery, uh, one of my camp friends, he had one, and it had a piece of cake, and it had an idea, and it said, um, it said something like, you have to taste this, and you have to test this, which I thought was really funny. And, and then there were other, I saw on Facebook, people said, well, we're out and having to march for facts, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and, you know, I, I always challenge that statement when kids say to me, well, I believe in science. Because I say, well, science is not really something you believe in. It's a tool. It's something that we use. It's a tool. It's something that God gave us to understand the universe. Um, and it's something that inspires doubt sometimes in all of us. And so we get some clues today on how to respond to um, not just our teenagers, because, you know, at that age, they're the embodiment a lot of times of things that are going on in us. You know, they're these little um, barely formed egos walking around that, that, you know, hold a lot of our anxieties and a lot of our neuroses, not too many of them, hopefully. Um, and so they're just saying what sometimes what we're thinking, right? Um, and Thomas is like that for us. And 
In the Gospel of John, um, a couple of places, uh, Thomas is called Didymus, the twin. And that's no accident because um, the way John's written anyway, um, Thomas is meant to be a stand-in, really, for us. Meant to be our proxy within this process. Because at some point during Easter, I mean, the whole death part is actually pretty easy to understand because we get violence, right? We get um, execution. We get the fact that Jesus was, was tortured and executed and that he died. But then this notion that, that a, a man would come back to life and then today, um, there's all kinds of images of how he appeared to the disciples. I mean, did he materialize? Were they all looking in the same direction and then he was standing behind them? Um, was it a voice? Was it a, uh, at first? Um, you know, all these things ought to um, ev- evoke a lot of questions in us because these are difficult images for us to understand. And they were difficult for people back uh, when John was writing the gospel for, for very anxious Christians living in communities that were uh, interspersed with people of other faiths and other cultures. And, and so... Um, we ought to have those same questions, so we are Thomas, really. And so there's some clues from the gospel as to how we can respond to these moments of doubt um, and how we as people of a certain kind of Christian faith respond to these, these doubts that we have. First of all, notice that Jesus, when he appears to the disciples, this is, uh, there's, there's four appearances in John. The first one was at the on the way out from the grave to the women. Um, and the second two are here. And then the fourth one, Jesus comes to the beach and um, cooks them some fish. And so, in these two appearances, first of all, um, what's the first thing that Jesus says to them? He, he doesn't show up and go, dudes, what just happened? Right? You would expect him to do that because how did he die? alone, naked, abandoned by his friends, right? But he shows up after this awful thing happens to him, and he doesn't show up with a clap of thunder or anything. He just kind of appears, and he says, peace, peace, friends. So in the first place, there's forgiveness in this scene. There's always forgiveness. Forgiveness comes first. That is what we do is forgive, John is telling us. Um, Jesus forgave his friends here for abandoning him. And then another interesting thing happens. Um, Thomas shows up. And, you know, Thomas is kind of the hero of this uh, particular little scene because he hasn't been locked behind the doors, has he? The disciples have all been sitting behind the doors, huddled in their little circle. Thomas has been out. He's been out walking around, listening to the scuttlebutt, listening to the doubters and the haters and the anti-Jesus people and the pro-Jesus people, and feeling the, the awesomeness of the Roman Empire, thinking about his own safety and the safety of his friends. So he comes back after having this interaction with reality. And so Jesus shows up, and Thomas doesn't push that reality aside, does he? Thomas holds that reality in tension, and he says, look, I see you're here, but I still don't quite believe it. And I think what goes unsaid is that he doesn't believe it because he's been out there and because he's got the memory of this execution in his mind, very fresh, and he thinks, how likely is it that this is Jesus and not some imposter that we've cooked up? 
How likely is it that this is Jesus and not some sort of, uh, you know, fantasy that we're all having together? And so Thomas pushes back against that reality and says to Jesus, and, and, you know, Thomas is really like the teenager here, right? Um, Thomas says, uh, well, you know, you're going to have to show me, Lord. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful moment, though, because Jesus doesn't show him by um, making some theological explanation or appealing to the Westminster uh, Catechism or the, the Nicene Creed or even quoting Scripture. Jesus says, come closer. And it's interesting in the Gospel of John, it doesn't say wounds, it says marks. So Jesus shows up as a marked person, as somebody who bears the scars of human violence. And he says, he says well, Thomas, if you want to believe, touch this. Look at this. Be here with me. This just happened. But then Jesus again doesn't say to them, all right, now um, you've got your proof. Go out there and tell everyone else they're wrong, does he? He breathes God's Spirit into them. And then he says, you know, forgiveness is an easy thing. If you can let go, um, there's, there's some more interesting language in here where uh, he says retain, but really he's saying, you know, if you hold on to things, if you hold on to things, um, you know, you're going to hold on to them and you're not going to forgive. But if you let go of things, um, you'll be able to forgive. And so the clue that he gives us for pushing up against our doubt isn't that Jesus solves any of the problems that we get with doubt. You know, I, I have wonderful arguments with some of my best friends who are avowed atheists. But you know what's interesting? And I bet some of you have had the same experience. Um, there's this, this confidence that we can have through this faith that we practice together that is not about having all the right answers or winning every argument, but is about coming here together and getting fed and praying and having the Spirit of God breathed into us and then going out in the world and doing this work called forgiveness. And so we get these wonderful clues from John today on how to live into the resurrection, finally. Um, Easter's 50 days long, 10 days longer than Lent, which means we have 10 extra days to ponder resurrection, which is a really difficult reality for us, isn't it? Um, what does it mean exactly? What does it mean for us? And so what we're learning today from Thomas is that resurrection um, is not about having it figured out and it's not about having all the answers and it's not about even telling our teenage children that they're wrong because they are often wrong. Um, but it's about living into these realities that Jesus has established. These realities that say, the Spirit of God is breathed into you. It's as easy as breathing. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's all around you. It's air. Um, you can forgive. It's, it's a big deal, but it's also... Um, as easy as you doing the work that you need to do to forgive people and relying on that spirit to be able to forgive even when it's hard. And that finally, um, I'm a God incarnate 
It's one of us, a marked person. In spite of the marks that we have, the things that happen, the wounds that we suffer, we too can be resurrected. That is how we respond to doubt one way. That is who we are, is this kind of Christian, and that was how we can live.